Sasswa is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit sasswhat.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Sasquatch is taped live in front of a studio audience of 473 Sasquatches and their young. Hey, thanks, by the way. It's been like over a year we've been doing this. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a year it and a half. It doesn't seem like that to me. It doesn't. Really? It's, it's, it doesn't, but it's been, a, it's been over a year and we've... It's, it's funny because like the show is still... In my mind, anyway, I don't know if or if like listeners something, but I th- I think it's actually very similar to how it started out. Mm-hmm. Like it still is yeah. kind of just us riffing on right stuff, and then occasionally we talk to people. <laughs> yeah. um, this, yeah, this is, is sort of a back to basics type episode, really. Right, right. This is Saswa, a podcast. Ooh, uh oh, <clears throat> this is Saswa, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, where Bigfoot likes to work, but I'm not sure he enjoys living here. And you might be listening to the show on 97.1 FM Wadsworth Community Radio, which is our local affiliate here in Wadsworth, my current hometown, and the place I adore. And tomorrow night, I will be out in the downtown Wadsworth area enjoying their Christmas candlelight walk which is something I look forward to all year. It's kind of a tradition. We've been doing this for I think five years now since my wife and I started dating. Whoa. So what's that like? I mean what did they do? It's super old fashioned. It's like mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> sorry I uh, yeah it's one of those nights. Um, I, we, we go downtown and um, we there's carriage rides. There's Christmas car- Christmas carols kind of blasting all around the downtown area. And the shops stay open late. So you can kind of go walk around and shop or whatever. And uh, we do it every year. And for the last, I think, three years, we've taken my niece, um, Penny, who is like my adopted daughter. And not literally, but she she's... I, refer to her often as my adopted daughter um this year we're taking my other niece dixie so two nieces um and penny's 12 and dixie's only what six or seven i think she's six she just celebrated her birthday anyway it's a very like old school small town americana you know they still do christmas carols and the local radio stations down there broadcasting from city square and they do the christmas lighting and there's hot chocolate and popcorn and stuff and you walk around and freeze your butt off because every year no matter what we get hit with some like freak snowstorm or last year it was like a, a random ice storm kicked up the night of um so uh, the christmas spirit yeah yeah and it's every year survival so. <laughs> right you all huddle around a garbage can that's like flaming on the side of the street it's more like uh living in escape from new york but uh <laughs> yeah. But so yeah. do they light the tree? Is that sort of the point of the whole thing, or is it just? Um, the, I, I, I think I know we might answer this already, but you know, this is before Thanksgiving that this is happening. It right? is, yeah. They light the tree, so and it's Wadsworth is a tiny town. I mean, not. 
I guess it's not. It's I grew up in a town called Bolivar, which was minuscule. You know, this little stop off the highway. It's it's a little bigger than Bolivar was, but it's still a small town. Very Mayberry esque is kind of mm-hmm. how I describe Wadsworth. So yeah, the tree lighting is kind of the focal point. Although the carriage rides are a real treat although the lines back up about half a mile down road so wow. if you want if you want yeah. to ride the carriage rides get there early i actually the last couple of years i skipped the carriage rides and i take my nieces or well in previous years it was just my niece but i take the niece down on uh saturday morning at about nine o'clock to the save a lot parking lot where the same exact carriages are waiting and you can go ride the carriage and there's no one in a line so nice I typically wait for the Saturday morning carriage ride. Ultimate local insider knowledge. Yes. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. I always suggest anyone moving to like a small town quickly figure out your local events. There's all sorts of them here. We have this thing in Wadsworth called the Blue Tip Parade, which is, jeez, uh, this is being broadcast on Wadsworth Radio, but that's okay. I've always found it very, very comedic because the the blue tip match company moved out of Wadsworth back in like the seventies, I think, or maybe the eighties, oh. but they still do the blue tip match huh. parade to celebrate Wadsworth <laughs> history. And I dig okay. it. Like I kind of get it. I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of enjoy that. Like, I think it's neat, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's big Friday night plans is the Christmas candlelight walk. And that's when it really starts to feel like Christmas. I did already completely decorate my house. <laughs> this is a show about Bigfoot, by, by the way. <laughs> if you're listening, Bigfoot being our native uh, native uh, ape, American ape. Uh, and tonight we wanted to talk about... It's been a while since Mark and I just sat and talked about uh, kind of a, a regional Bigfoot. We've done episodes on uh, Florida and um, some Texas most recently. And this time we're talking about Kentucky... Kentucky being on the list for quite a while, actually, because I'm a big... I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I, I've actually... I've got a lot of experience with Kentucky. I have friends that live there. Uh, I almost live there at one point. Um, hmm. I've spent quite a bit of time there. And, uh, of course, there's a there's a big, you know, history in Kentucky of Bigfoot, uh, which we'll get into eventually if you're, you're probably thinking of the... The same thing I am when it comes to this kind of history. It involves Daniel Boone. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so tonight we're going to talk about uh, Bigfoot in the Bluegrass State, which will probably be the title of the episode. This is wonderful. So, um, what's... You just that, didn't you? It's just right, right now. Head. Alliteration. Beautiful. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, the the it's amazing to me that Kentucky still doesn't have the same prominence as, say, in Ohio, mm-hmm. in a lot of people's minds. But all you have to do is start digging a little bit, and it's just unbelievable the amount of reports and the longevity of it. You know, it, it rivals any state, it seems to me, east of the Mississippi for reports. And it makes it makes as much sense, if not more sense, than states like Ohio. Because, mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I spent a lot of time in Kentucky for some reason – Many, many friends of mine have settled in Kentucky, um, and the, the, one friend of mine in particular, Paul, who I used to do the Ancillary Characters podcast with, Paul lives in the middle of nowhere. I don't think he would argue with with me on this. I mean, like, mm-hmm. his, his father is a pastor, and their church sits in this 
I mean, this this tiny church. I mean, you drive. There's no one around. There's no neighbors anywhere. You're up on this hill. There's a giant woods behind it. The closest town is 45 minutes away. Like it's that kind of place. Yeah. Um, and that is my Kentucky. Like when I think of Kentucky, that's that's what I think of. Obviously, I think of Elizabethtown and Louisville as well. Um, mm-hmm. But there's there are these you know extremely rural kind of isolated places in Kentucky. And it makes sense because you've got Tennessee as a bordering state and you've got Ohio, you know, as a bordering state. And those are both big squatch heavens. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a very uh, quote unquote squatchy state. And that's not even to go into uh, things like Mammoth Cave National Park. The first Cracker Barrel I ever went to was in Lexington, Kentucky. Was, Was there a Bigfoot there? I don't remember. <laughs> you don't recall seeing one. No. There might have been, but... My mind was clouded by, yeah. you know, just the wholesome goodness of Cracker Barrel. Sure. <laughs> sure. sure. So, let's get no. into let's get into uh, to Bigfoot sightings in the area. And before we do, I did want to mention the Bigfoot Research Organization is based... Wait, Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization is based, obviously, in Kentucky. And that is Charlie Raymond's... Uh, group out of Kentucky, and I, in doing research for this episode, I actually looked at a lot of their kind of eyewitness interviews and things like that, which are mm-hmm. I I should have wrote down like their <clears throat> YouTube URL or something, but I did not. I failed in that capacity. But um, Charlie Raymond, uh, we both saw speak actually at yes. the Ohio Bigfoot Conference a couple of years ago, and Charlie is a very active uh, researcher. I guess is what they like to be called in the area uh, of Kentucky. And he's kind of all over the place. I mean, he's here's what's crazy about Charlie Raymond. I looked up Kentucky Bigfoot on YouTube and like five out of every 15 videos was like a, a news clip that happened to have Charlie Raymond in it. And I'm like, you know, when I do promotion for these movies, I'm always trying to get local news to talk to us how does this guy pull off like he's been on bbc america like how do you how do you pull that off so charlie charlie very vocal and very uh prominent in the field of kentucky bigfoot research and um it is like like mark said it's a it's a big bigfoot state their website is really good too at kentuckybigfoot.com very easy to access mm-hmm and just has a wealth of reports on there. And you get a really good sense of the team that he has assembled. And it's uh, comprehensive. Mm-hmm. They really have got, I think, a plan to respond quickly to reports that they get. Is that kind of their primary thing? Like, they don't go to, like, I mean, it's not like an NAWEC thing, right? It's. Mm-mm. Okay. No, I think it's more. They're sort of the clearinghouse for reports in Kentucky. And uh, as they can, they try to investigate them as quickly as possible. Sure. Sure. All right. Let's get into uh, sighting reports. And and I feel like maybe we should start old and, and move forward. Do you want to do yeah. that? We, we never yeah. do that sort of thing. But let's actually try to, since we're, you know, we've got an hour-long show ahead of us, let's try to get, you know, these historical reports. And, and as always, I have to mention Chad Armand's historical Bigfoot sitting right here beside me. Uh, propped open 
So, Mark, <laughs> since since on the last episode and even the Texas episode, you didn't get to open up your wealth of Bigfoot knowledge on us, I'm going to have you start yeah. off with historical reports. Well, all right. This one comes from, you know, really the Old Testament of Bigfootery, the John Green Sasquatch Apes Among Us. And I just think this would be a perfect place to start um, as Green collects the reports about Kentucky. There's not a lot in his book, probably three, maybe four pages, but some of the stuff he has in here is very tantalizing, and this is one that really caught my eye, and you'll you'll know why as soon as we get into it. It says, just over the border in Allen County, Kentucky, there's a story that goes back 100 years about a group of creatures that lived in a forested valley called Monkey Cave Hollow. Ivan Sanderson has on file a letter from Harold Holland of Scottsville, Kentucky, including the following statement. About 20 years ago, one old man who had moved from this area returned to that was about seven eight years, he saw the carcass of the last quote-unquote monkey. He stated that a hunter came by his father's house and displayed the dead beast. He said that he could not recall exactly what it looked like. After all, it had been 80 years or thereabouts, but that the creature had hands and feet, quote-unquote, like a person, and was about the same size he was himself, had no tail, and was covered with brown hair. And that's really all that it says, but it gives you that, you know... It implies sort of this legendary location called Monkey Cave Hollow. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And it's been around for 100 years, and this guy who's definitely over 80 years old claims to have seen a dead one. I mean, it's just a whole, whole uh, mix of stuff that is really fun so, uh, in these old reports. And that is something that Kentucky's renowned for is its caves. Um and mm-hmm. even even in where my friend Paul lives, there's a cave near them, and it's not some sort of state park. This is a cave where they go down into the woods across the street from their house, and you walk a few miles into the woods, and you go back to this creek, and you go follow the creek back, and all of a sudden, bam, there's this huge cave. Um, that is not uncommon in Kentucky. They they have And, and obviously, Mammoth Cave National Park uh, is right there, too, which I'm sure you, you might have an answer to this. Are there... Bigfoot sighting reports from Mammoth Cave National Park? Yes, there are. Okay. There are. And when we move into the, sort of the modern era, yeah. there's a number of documented cases okay. that are in and around Mammoth Cave, which, of course, suggests a whole lot of things. I was trying to double-check this to make sure this is the oldest I can find. I've got, I've got a report here from... Um, and this is one of my personal reports, actually, so I can take credit for finding this. One of the the names that I started searching uh, a couple of years ago when I was looking up old newspaper articles was Wild Child. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know about this. Um, so uh, one of the earliest reports I found in Kentucky is from Unitown. Um, a Wild Child in Kentucky is what the hmm. article's titled and it's actually from april 7th 1869 uh and it says the country in a southwesterly direction from this place and extending between a point five miles from town to about 10 miles is sparsely inhabited and many thousand acres have yet their aged forest growth 
There was also a strip in this timbered location where the trees have been uprooted and now lie as a mass of logs, limbs, and underbrush known as the hurricane. In the surroundings of the hurricane are good hunting grounds. Deer, turkey, and the general small varieties are to be found by the expert hunter. There is also something that has been described to us by several persons who have been who have seen it, and we will give what has been told us. For some past months, a gentleman residing near this portion of the country known as the hurricane has heard sounds issuing from the, <clears throat> sorry, from the dense timber resembling the sounds of a child in distress and sometimes preceded by a wail or child shriek. The family has been much disconcerted in regard to this extraordinary noise and many fruitless attempts were made to ascertain from whom or where it proceeded at length. Their efforts and intelligent watching were rewarded by sight to use the old man's expression that made him creep sitting <laughs> sitting upon a log some distance from him was what he would take to be a nude male child a slight noise made by him startled the object and it ran with great speed <clears throat> he followed as fast as his aged limbs could carry him the heavy timber obstructed his sight so that he lost the trail and the object of the flight the tracks made by the animal were about three inches long and had every appearance of the track of a child. There were, was the large projecting toe with four small ones circling down gradually and forming a symmetrical and well-formed human foot. Mm-hmm. Um, after the discovery, other members of the family, by close watching, saw the same object and informing some of their friends. They also took a uh, look at the animal. One of the boys belonging to the old gentleman's family determined to capture it, and for the purpose of effectually surprising the animal, he hid himself near the place where he had frequently seen it. As the sun rose, casting its lurid and effulgent rays through, around, and between the matted treetops, briars and weeds doing its very best to help young America with this addition to his miniature menagerie. The young man's eyes were greeted by a sight of the object of his search, and as it had not discovered as it had not discovered the intruder, he had ample time to take a close look at it, and as near as we can, we'll describe it to the reader. It was about two feet or probably two feet and a half high. Its apparent walk and actions were human, walked erect, and when pursued was very fleet of foot. Its arms did not appear exceedingly long and had hands like ordinary mortals and even to the fingernails. Its clothing, yes, it was clothed, not as gorgeous and many colored as the Grecian bells, nor so scanty as the little fledged chick with shell covering on his back, but with hair, veritable long, wavy, and beautiful bright hair, such as seen in pictures of advertisements that represent the female after using pull and Ketchum's hair restorer, refrigerator, etc. <laughs> the hair is of a grayish-white and is about, about six inches long, covering the entire body and in constant motion, waving, dividing, and changing position in accordance with the force of the wind that moves it, of a light silk nature, limbs well-proportioned, very small, and take it all in all would make a pretty good start for an old maid or bachelor, barring the hair, toward housekeeping. Uh, it goes on and talks about the young boy pursuing it. Um, let me see if it says anything about him catching it. I, I did find another article about a, a hmm. purported possible Bigfoot being caught. But no, this one kind of ends there. So what I find fascinating about this is a couple of things. One, it's a, a two and a half foot tall, upright walking, hair covered being white hair covered being which is you know obviously this is so small i mean sounds like a possible juvenile if this mm-hmm. is a bigfoot and not a made-up article that someone was creating to sell papers back in 1869 mm-hmm. uh another thing would be the the wild man of gallipolis sighting also 1869 
Um, and then the the footprint. That's kind of cool. Gives a very detailed description of the footprint, which you don't find very often in these old articles. And this is 1869 outside of Uniontown, Kentucky, wherever that would be. And if any of our listeners have ever heard of the story, let us know. But I th- I thought this was a cool one. Um, yeah, I like the product placement too. That oh yeah, a, oh yeah, that's cool. perfect. Hair tonic. I mean, does you know? You, and you brought up the fact, and we've talked about this before, but that some of these old school reports, um, you certainly have to suspect that there's some level of creative license going on yeah. with these descriptions because they are so detailed. I mean, it suggests. Uh, one of two things: either it really did happen that way, and thus the details are being described, or you've got somebody doing a like creative writing, essentially. Right. And uh, but even so, what, what what would make you make up a story about a little figure like this? I mean, that's sort of interesting in right. itself. And the description of the hair. I mean, you can you could see that as like just a feral child or right. something. Yeah, whose hair has just grown. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a cool one. I I found this this morning. Um, I saved it back in. Let me see if I have a date on this thing. I I would have. It would have been a while ago. Uh, back in yeah March of 2014, I located that story. So I was glad that came into use eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I have more from Kentucky, but I could not find them. I can't find my for some reason. I can't find my um my Kentucky folder so i know i've i know i've got more and and actually before we started recording i was watching kind of a uh a video i came across on youtube which i'll discuss in a minute unless you get to it before me so i'm gonna okay. let you go oh okay um this one comes from the I, the thing i love about this is that it's a childhood sighting there's something about those reports that is really sort of i guess fulfills a a wish of mine that never came true. So you've got this, uh, It's a. it was an older gentleman, but he was reporting a sighting that he had back in April or May of 1957. Now, the nearest city was Cynthiana, Kentucky, and uh, this is in his own words. It happened on a spring morning when I was six years old. My dad raised tobacco on a large farm, which was located back a long lane surrounded by woods and hills. My dad was working ground that morning, and he always took me with him. He would let me ride on the tractor until we got to the area where the field was that he was working. Then I would play in the dirt with a few toys that I had. It was about a two-acre field with a fence around it, and on the far side was some big woods. That morning, I was playing next to the fence by the woods, and my dad had just turned the tractor to go back across the field. And for some reason, I looked up, and leaning on the other side of the fence was a tall, hairy creature. It had a rounded face with big eyes. The fence it was leaning on, I found out later in life, was four to five foot tall came to about its waist. It was staring at me. I took off running after my dad, but he wouldn't let me on the tractor. He finally stopped and had to take me to the house. He later said I was crying and so afraid I wouldn't come out of the house for days. I never went back to that area. I finally moved, but that memory will be with me forever, I guess. Hmm. And that has a number of elements in it that you know, seem to square with reports that Bigfoot enthusiasts are familiar with. I mean, the sort of the observance of a child by a Bigfoot um, for whatever reason, you know, the lack of a threat, the curiosity factor. The thing that I like about this too is you have sort of this contrast between a little kid 
just playing innocently and what seems to have been a gigantic creature. I mean, like in in uh, reference to that fence post, it really seemed huge. And, you know, maybe that is the uh, childhood memory conflated somewhat, but still, there's just really a classic element to that report. What's the what's the date on that again? Uh, it took place in the springtime of 1957, okay. April or May. All right. And what was your first one? I You probably don't have it. Well, me. the first one, there was no date attached to it, but it did say that the reports about that particular hollow or monkey cave hollow went back 100 years. Okay. So I, I'm assuming that means from the time of the publication of the book. So you'd be talking... You know, like 1870s or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find some sort of uh, reference. 1892, that's what I'm saying here. All right. In 1892, there's an article that ran in a paper. Uh, oh, the Toledo Bee, actually. It talks mm. about a uh, a gorilla being captured in Kentucky. And it's a cool article um, in that it, it harkens back to some of my favorite aspects of like small town monster sightings in that mm-hmm. it it starts with this uh these descriptions of something in the woods killing dogs and calves by you know brutally murdering and eating them um and and the article refers to it consistently as a gorilla and then it it kind of ends with a posse of 300 it says 300 people wow trooping out into the woods in search of this gorilla and they actually capture it. Um, unfortunately it, it doesn't go anywhere after that. There's, it doesn't seem like there's a follow up to that. So that automatically brings that article into question. But, uh, nonetheless we have one of those classic, uh, possible early Bigfoot, you know, recordings of, of, you know, this posse of people chasing a Bigfoot that, murders uh brutally murders dogs uh out into the forest of kentucky and i loved 1892 you know so we go from 1869 where my you know the wild child story takes place to the 1892 so you've got these 1800 stories and both of them are very unique in that you don't typically find stories where the the gorilla or monster or whatever you call it is actually captured um outside of a few examples, but they they also refer to it in the article as a "what is it," which you know, kind of a classic late eighteen hundreds uh, quote about Bigfoot. What I should have done, and I did do this, I I, I cracked open Lauren Coleman's uh, "Mysterious America." Is that the title? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. you you turned me on to ages ago. Um, actually, back when I was still making Minerva Monster, because there's a little section in the book about Minerva Monster, and I was I was just kind of leafing through it, and I read. I started out by reading his final chapter in the book, which I forget. It's just kind of his view on where I guess Bigfoot studies were at at that point when that book was written. But he had a few different accounts in there of. Yes, that centered around Kentucky, and I did not write them down, but I know for a fact that they were fascinating. I was like, I was like, boy, I re- I'm really going to need to refer to these when <laughs> when we do the show <laughs> on Thursday. Then I never wrote them down, so maybe I'll track them down here. When we're doing this, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, they were. It's a it's a great book, and Lauren Coleman, for those that don't know, uh, his uh, Bigfoot uh, true story of apes in America is a fantastic 
starting place for learning about the study of uh, North American primates. And I know you agree. Cause we're- I agree completely. I, I think the thing that I really have grown to truly appreciate about that book is that it's not just a bunch of sighting reports strung together, but he goes into um, personalities in the Bigfoot field and incidents that have really become very legendary and uh, pivotal. But a lot of uh, legend, you know, a lot of uh, folklore has sort of grown up around this stuff, like the, you know, everything from uh, Bluff Creek to Jerry Crew and the, the tracks. And he does a really good job of sort of looking at all of those things in a, not a, I wouldn't say a skeptical light, but trying to separate the wheat from the chaff or, or the, the stuff that we know is the truthful heart of the story versus sort of the word of mouth, um, almost rumor type stuff that swirls around just about any Bigfoot report that you come across. Right. So he does that. It's really, it's like, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that it's like a modern look at Bigfoot which doesn't just repristinate old Bigfoot reports from other books and mm-hmm. just run them like they're the gospel truth, but he really looks at them with a critical eye. I'm trying to find some sort of uh, statistic that, that tells us um, like how much of uh, Kentucky is forested, because it would be fascinating. We've done that when we've talked about Ohio before, like what is the percentage mm. of... Kentucky or yeah, Ohio that is is uh forest and I think it makes may have actually found something here. It says uh hold on, I'm gonna zoom in here. Uh Kentucky's forest industries annual sh- uh, this is all about. Approximately thirty seven thousand five hundred Kentuckians are employed by the wood industry. Well that's fascinating right there. Uh four hundred and twenty three thousand private individuals own seventy eight percent of Kentucky's timberland. That's pretty huge actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12 million acres, 47% of Kentucky's 25,425,000, wait, 20, hold on, 12 million, <laughs> that was the weirdest statistic, okay, 12 million acres, 47% of Kentucky's 25,425,904 acres are covered in forest, uh, so that's 47% of Kentucky is forest, which compared to Ohio, which is what? We've talked about this before. I think it's 30, 33%. I want to say it's in the 30s. Hmm. I think I'm right. Yeah. Um, Kentucky so, lost. I mean, in Kentucky's case, it's virtually half the state is forest. Right. Uh, Kentucky lost more than 700,000 acres of forest between 1988. Hold on. Let me see. Okay. Kentucky lost more than 700,000 acres of forest between 1988 and 2004, mostly due to the conversion of forest for for development purposes. Uh, Of the 12 million acres of forest, 11.6 million acres are classified as timberland. Timberlands are capable of growing commercial timber, producing at least 115 board feet of wood volume per acre per year. This acreage has decreased 6% since 1988, Forest conversion is recognized as one of the most serious threats to forests in Kentucky. So as with most uh, places we find, there is a kind of a danger here, I guess. It depends on your... I'm trying to find if there's any more... uh, The state tree of Kentucky is the yellow poplar. 
Yellow poplar replaced the Kentucky coffee tree as the state tree in 1994 because of its abundance and commercial importance to the state. Uh, Kentucky's forests provide critical habitat for many game and non-game wildlife species, including deer, turkey, elk, and black bears. It is estimated that 545 million is spent annually on fishing, 373 million on hunting, and 602 million on wildlife watching. Uh, give some logging statistics as well, uh, which is fascinating. And oh, this is great. For those that are trying to find statistics on, uh, this is called the Kentucky Forest Fact Sheet provided by the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service College of Agriculture. That is fantastic. Thank you, Kentucky. That's really cool. Um, so we now know something which I did not know going into this episode, which is that 47% of Kentucky is forest. And we also know that a large percentage of that is privately owned, which that alone is fascinating. And um, I mean, you, private land is always fascinating to me because you can't get on, on it typically. Um, mm-hmm. When we were in Falk, we ran into that problem. You couldn't, you could you couldn't actually walk into the woods around Boggy Creek because it's all privately owned. Um, and the thing about privately owned land is, it's I mean if 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 you're not going back there, then the odds are the landowner is rarely you know heading around their forests. So what what could be kind of dwelling in the darkness therein? So let's let's keep this in mind as we're going forward. These statistics: forty seven percent of Kentucky forest. All right, let's uh, let's keep going. What do you got? Well, how how far into the future are we going to go? Let's just go. Uh, let's just go. Let's just go. I mean, I'm probably going to jump back because I've got 1800s articles from Chad Armand's book here. I wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. Um, let's go to 73 because mm-hmm. you know I'm a, I love the hippie. 70s stuff. Yeah, total hippie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it reveals a lot. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, okay. This is October 1973, 9 o'clock at night, full moon, uh, south of Lewisburg, six miles west of Russellville for people who know their Kentucky geography, and I don't. Um, on a very clear moonlit evening, Flip had climbed down after a day of bow hunting and had a path approximately 25 yards through the woods to a soybean field as he entered the bean field at his 3 o'clock position. He noticed a dark silhouette of a massive figure. It was only 20 feet from him. Philip pretended like he didn't see it and kept walking at a fast pace, all the while keeping his eye on it. The moon was directly behind it, so he could not see its face. It had real long arms, very broad shoulders, no neck, a thick build, and he could even see its fingers. He said it looked like the image on our website, so much like a gorilla with a smaller waist and longer arms. The head was not pointed like most people describe. Philip is six foot tall, and he estimated the creature at about a foot taller than himself. Putting its height at around seven foot, it made no sounds or movement. When he initially had the bean field, he could see the silhouette clearly due to the moon behind it. However, as he walked past and beyond it, it then blended in with the tree line. Uh, just prior to leaving the tree stand, Philip observed a fox, which ran under his tree stand away from the bean field. Next day, Philip returned with a high-powered rifle to look for footprints. He did not find any footprints. And still gives him chills to think about it. So, you know, those type of close-up encounters, I think, are kind of interesting. And again, I mean, I know this is like stretching across a huge uh, span of time, but you have another gorilla reference, which I, you know, is understandable 
that that's that could actually be a show maybe is mm-hmm. the whole transference of the gorilla description in, in it's, terms of bigfoot it's odd to hear a gorilla reference in the 70s though right i can't actually i can't think of any off the top of my head i mean mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm sure there are in newspaper articles or something but that's an odd reference for the 70s yeah um beanfield is that what you said beanfield? yeah soybeans mm-hmm. okay okay falc monster um, I've got one from 1892, uh, and this is stolen from Chad Armas, historical Bigfoot. Uh, Mayville, Kentucky, Dr. H.W. DeMitt of Vanceburg says the citizens of Lewis County are much excited over the existence of a genuine wild man who haunts the hills and thickets of the country. He is described as being, as being of gigantic stature, covered with a thick growth of hair, and is fierce and untamable. One gentleman encountered the creature in a lonely part of the hills last week and endeavored to strike up a conversation with him. A shower of rocks greeted his first words, and the gentleman made a hasty retweet. retweet, retweet. Uh, Dr. Dibbett says that he saw this modern Orson with his own eyes. What is a modern Orson? What is that a reference to? Modern Orson? Wow. I don't know. Wells? Is that... <laughs> that like, that's the first thing that occurred to me, but... It, it came it's out a little out of time. Yeah. It's an odd modern what Orson. What was it again? Modern Orson. Modern Orson. And this is from 1892. In, uh, and, and curiously enough, this article was originally published in the in New Philadelphia, Ohio, in the Ohio Democrat. So um, I, I need to do some, some research into why that is. Like why, why these local stories end up finding original publications so far out of their... Like, like, here's another one, actually. Harry Monster in Kentucky lives in a cave, looks like a man, and lives by robbing farmers. Uh, and it, it's your typical story about, um, well, actually, this guy has long white hair. But he's hanging out in a cave in Kentucky, and this is in 1894. But it's originally published in Lincoln, Nebraska, a story about uh, Kentucky in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. And this one's published in Reno, Nevada. It's 1907. Why is that? Do you think? 1907? But being published in art, in papers that are nowhere near. Oh. Well, yeah. And that happened a lot back then. Right. Why? I need I to... Know. I'm going to have to look into that. I. It may be as simple as they were cracking good stories. Right. Right. I don't know. Oh, and by the way, yeah. Orson, the sort of the, uh, the linguistic roots of that is bear. Ooh. Like Ursus. So okay. uh, Orson is sort of related to bear cub. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right. I like that. All right. Uh, Orson. Modern Orson. So there we have it, folks. All right. Um, let's let's get up to modern times a little bit, can we? I mean, yeah. do you have do you have anything older you wanted to get to first? Mm-mm, like, not uh, really. Well, here's a question for you though. Are there any small town monsters? in Kentucky, like famed kind of local mascots. I, I know there's some sort of small scale documentary coming out about a local monster. Um, but I can't for the life. I'm trying to find it while I'm talking about this. I can't okay. for the life of me, remember what it's called, but it's, you know, it kind of looks like a Minerva monster type movie. Um, it's low budget, you know, uh, local Bigfoot story. And I can't find it. I was hoping I could. I had actually just watched the trailer, but for some reason, I the new uh, 
YouTube app. I can't make heads or tails of like <laughs> oh, no. Spotsville, the Spotsville monster. It's called Yeah, Spotsville. Okay. Do you know anything about this? Um, just from the stuff that I've seen on Kentucky Bigfoot, uh, that name keeps coming up, uh, Spotsville again and again. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to, before I forgot about it is you remember when, um, Charlie Raymond did his presentation and Kentucky just ha- seems to have, you know, along in the small town monsters sort of, uh, idea, there's just these great nicknames for these monsters mm-hmm. like, uh, Mr. Howie is one of them. Right. Yes. <laughs> the big sort of potbelly Bigfoot that walks out and on more than one occasion has sort of waved his hand at people in almost like a greeting sort of friendly way. Right. So, I mean, that that deserves a movie right there, in my opinion. Right. The Legend of Mr. Howdy. But, um, so, Spotsville. You want to go back to Spotsville? Well, I'm looking minute? right now on... Uh, Apparently, there's a site called Cryptid Wiki, um, and and everything I'm seeing has the word hoax attached to it. Um, but this one says, recent posts have been showing up at other sites across the web declaring that there was a sighting of the so-called Spotsville monster. After searching feverishly for anything to show up on the newswire anywhere, no clear this event has been... Okay, so this. So what I am seeing is the Kentucky Bigfoot website holds a lengthy post on a sighting from 1975 that is way too long to be posted here, but we will supply the link. I'm clicking the link, going over it. Holy crap! It is like 5 billion words, and it's not... <laughs> It is way too long. Apparently, the the story revolves around the Nunnally family, who were uh, this. This really sounds like Minerva Monster. It's like Kentucky's Minerva Monster, I guess. Mm. Uh, Nunnally's new house on Mount Ridge Road seemed perfect at first. The property contained many types of fruit and berry trees. I'd planned to raise several acres. Uh, it's hard to read because of the way this is mm-hmm. written. Tobacco comes spring. Rose, his wife, looked forward to raising a big vegetable garden. Uh, there's a lot of blah 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 about stuff um let me see before there's 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 so much here and it's packed so densely on this page it's almost impossible to read uh but it it really reads like a minerva monster situation so the Mm -hmm. spotsville monster must be kind of the famed local monster there Uh, it was even mid-70s right I right, it, it was. It looks like it. 1975 is what I'm seeing here. Spotsville, okay. Kentucky, and Henderson County, uh, 1975. And at one point, I had a. I think I probably stole this from Charlie's website, but there was a list of uh, like the most visit or the the most sightings per county in Kentucky. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in Greene County, Kentucky. I've spent a lot of time in Bullitt County, Kentucky. I know both of those have Bigfoot sightings. Um, but the, yeah, the Spotsville monster, fascinating. I'm still, I'm still looking. Apparently, it's like who's found with this? Mm. Look at this article from Tor Coleman, which was posted on Cryptomundo. Unfortunately, this is very difficult. The page won't even load because there's any banners loading yeah. around, around it. Yeah. Um, but it, it does look like uh, there there might have been a found in connection with this Spotsville monster. So I don't know. Do you have anything else in front of you on the Spotsville? Uh, j- just no. I, the, I have seen is that there's it seems to be a lot of stuff about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like artist rendition right. of spots monster across a soon submit yes. monster across that as well. Yeah, there's lots there. Evidently. Yep. evidently, it's famous. It is famous. All right, go ahead. Take us take us somewhere else. Well, you mentioned Mammoth Cave before, right? 
And there's some really good stuff here, and um, some of which uh, Charlie Raymond has been involved with personally. But the first one here is from February of 2014. Uh, afternoon sighting location is Green River in Mammoth Cave. Um, received a call that Robert and his two buddies were musky fishing in a boat on the Green River, four miles downriver from the Green River Ferry Crossing. It was a very clear, sunny day. They were fishing on the south side of the river. Robert had just made a cast out into the river and was watching the end of his rod when he noticed a Bigfoot step out from behind a tree. It took one big step out into a clearing directly in front of a large thicket of cane trees. Robert watched it for about 20 seconds. When he first noticed it, he said he was speechless. He actually put his pole down, removed his sunglasses, and put on his prescription glasses. By the time he began to utter the words, Bigfoot, there's a Bigfoot, the boat had twisted around from the current. He pointed in the direction of the creature, but it was no longer visible. Unfortunately, his buddies did not see it. Uh, continues on. There's a description of the creature. Long black hair with hints of brown, seven and a half feet tall, shoulders wide, large with no neck. It looked like the shape of someone wearing a Carhartt jacket with the hood up. Uh, the hair was the same length across the entire body, six inches in length. Three men maneuvered their boat over to the location where the creature was spotted, got out to look for footprints. Uh, that didn't, they didn't find anything uh, substantial. Uh, I'm never a big believer in Bigfoot. I sure am now. I'll tell you this. There's definitely a list, at least one Bigfoot in the Mammoth Cave area. Now, for, <clears throat> for our listeners who may not know, Mammoth Cave is a national park in central Kentucky, encompassing portions of Mammoth Cave, the longest cave system known in the world. Um, let me see. I'm looking for like statistics. Parks, 52,830 acres are located primarily in Edmondson County, Kentucky. Small areas extending into Hart and Barron. It is centered on the Green River with a tributary, the Nolan River, feeding into the green just inside the park. 400 miles of surveyed passageways. Mammoth Cave is by far the world's longest known cave system, being over twice as long as the second longest cave system. Mexico's Sac Actun underwater cave. So it's crazy. 400 miles of cave. Now, um, it's, it's cool because if you actually visit the uh, Wikipedia page for Mammoth Cave, there's tons of info in here. And uh, I'm trying to see if there's anything. There's a river sticks in there. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Here's a reference to something called the Kentucky Cave Wars. Uh, wow. Wow, what's that about? I don't know. It's, it, it just, uh, I'm trying to find something that would kind of sum it up, but I'm not seeing anything. Um, it sounds like it would have been about what you'd expect, people that were trying to mine the caves, fighting over them. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've I'd never been to Mammoth Cave National Parks, but uh, National Park, but I've I was just by it. And in that entire area of Kentucky, uh, when we drove down the Falk, it's all cave oriented. Every exit is like diamond cave. The, you know, every exit has some sort of cave that they want you to come, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of it is tourist trap type stuff, but, um, nonetheless, Ken Kentucky is, is rampant with caves. So this kind of brings up the idea of, do you think Bigfoots are cave dwelling creatures like you personally? I'm asking you. Me personally, yeah, I, yes, I kind of do. It it makes a lot of sense to me in terms of where you know how come you don't run across uh, you know Bigfoot 
sleeping out in the you know the middle of the woods. Sure. Uh, it just it just is a really very logical explanation for where they go and why do they seem to be so large yet so hidden. Um, caves are a perfect explanation for all that. Right. Why? And it, why? Yeah. I mean, well, why? I guess what I'm I, asking I think, is, yeah. I mean, it, it's the idea that if I mean, think about at three. What was it? Three hundred miles? Four hundred. Four hundred. I mean, no. That's a phenomenal distance, Mark. Yeah. That's like for yeah. we could drive from here to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh huh. And that's like yeah. four hundred miles. Right. 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 I so I mean, I, it's just there's something primal about it. I think where you would not follow some huge creature down into a dark cave it's that's just, absolutely terrifying it's, yeah it's i mean they, see that's that's the thing about cave dwelling bigfoots that fascinates me is the idea of okay so so not only do we have a eight foot tall ape running around but now it might be in the caves like it hmm. might just be chilling down there waiting to bash your brains in with a with a with a rock um it does that's make the real, that's the real cave war. Did <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of. That would be amazing. That. Did the did foot army? Did Charlie talk about caves when we heard him speak? Yeah, I think he did. Okay, I mean he didn't make a huge point of it, but I think that he he definitely gave the impression that that was a. a big part of Kentucky investigation. I mean, it does make a certain amount of sense. There's these massive caves down there. There's this river sticks flowing through the one through, through mammoth cave. I mean, obviously there's probably many other rivers floating through there, but, uh, this, this river sticks one apparently is, is kind of the famed one. You got to think there's, why not, you know, there's shelter. Mm-hmm. There's, if there's easy, if if the surface is easily accessible from down there too, like if they know passageways that they exist, if they were to find passageways or something they could take to the surface and slaughter deer and sneak back into their underground dwellings. Yeah, um, and it'd be fairly temperate, you mm-hmm. know, year round. It wouldn't. Uh, it, it just uh, it, it's fascinating. It I, would I almost it would almost beg the question of like would would they be seen? I mean, it would make sense that Kentucky isn't like is Kentucky top five? I don't know. I don't know either. But I mean, if not, that would actually make sense to me because maybe the stupid things just are hiding in the. <laughs> yeah. No, no offense to our 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 listeners who think Bigfoot's our our brother, you know. But the stupid things <laughs> might be hiding uh, down in the in the caves. Sure. Yeah, they've mastered the art of concealment yeah and what would be better than a cave i mean really right especially if you know a heightened sense of uh night nighttime sight or sight in the darkness yeah nocturnal uh, nocturnal vision we'll call it nocta vision <laughs> um do you do you want to get to anything i i have something i have to talk about uh and we still got about 10 minutes so i want to get okay to- yeah i've got something okay. for sure and it's it's all related to the same thing um this is actual expedition that was led by charlie raymond and it's really great it's a girl scout expedition in uh, july of 2013 we were asked by troops 1554-2664 from delaware ohio by the way to guide them on a bigfoot hunt while visiting kentucky we met them for dinner first at the watermill restaurant where we gave a presentation on bigfoot the night hike took place on a trail in mammoth cave 
Around 10 p.m., Dana and I led this group of giddy slash inquisitive girls and their skeptical mothers into the darkness. I have to be honest, my expectations were very low. During our 45-minute hike along the boardwalk, we only used a few red headlamps and had the girls take turns making tree knocks and howls. We had a great time laughing and conversing normally, a tactic used to spark a Bigfoot's curiosity. Astonishingly, it worked. After one of the girls made 10 rapid tree knocks, we actually received a return tree knock together with a whistle. It came from a spot where we had walked about 30 minutes earlier. Some of the girls were reluctant to walk back toward it, but I reassured them it would be okay. Once we reached the spot where we thought the knock and whistle came from, it wasn't but a few minutes later when something very, very, very large jumped on the boardwalk behind us. It scared the daylights out of all of us. We quickly pointed a few flashlights in its direction. However, due to the winding boardwalk and trees, we couldn't see what made the sound. After promptly relating, retreating to the parking lot, we nervously discussed what just happened. I explained that bear and other animals typically don't tree-knock, whistle, and jump on the ground, though Bigfoots have been known to exhibit this type of behavior. I believe a curious Bigfoot came to the area to see what all the fuss was about, whistled and knocked in response to the ten rapid knocks, perhaps distress knocks, and then finally got sick of our foolishness and jumped on the boardwalk to intimidate us as in a bluff charge. Dana and I went back early the next morning, but didn't see a down tree, large log, rock, or even footprints. I jumped on the boardwalk with my boots to try and replicate the loud thud, and I didn't even do the sound justice. I weighed 250, and what we heard had to be easily twice my weight. The troop leaders told me they couldn't stop talking about it all the way back home to Ohio. It was definitely a highlight of their trip. I've read that. I vaguely recall it. Yeah, like I said, I wanted to talk about something... Uh, very, very, uh, very much Kentucky, which is the Erickson Project. Now, I'm I'm going to assume off the top of my head that you know more about the Erickson Project than I do because you know about everything Bigfoot uh, more than myself. The, the, the I'm looking at a page right now which says Adrian Erickson's first sighting was in 1959. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the Erickson Project, uh, Adrian Erickson owned a, a piece of property. Is that correct? And that's what somehow there's they based a lot of research around this guy's property. Is that what it was? Or I yeah okay. And somehow yes. moneymaker was involved, mm-hmm. and somehow there were pancakes, right? There's like punny. There's pancakes and Bigfoot's eating yes. pancakes fed to him by yes. Now did man, did moneymaker hand feed the Bigfoot pancakes? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. You don't want to talk. You don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I would not presume to say what Matt Moneymaker did or did not do. Okay. I'm just curious because I don't know. Okay. So anyway, the the Erickson Project, I think, is based in Kentucky. And obviously, the kind of the famous runoff from the Erickson Project would be, well, two things, actually. The Matilda video of a person in a Chewbacca mask. And mm-hmm. then the um, the uh, the Melba Ketchum study, which also uh, proclaimed that they had mapped the Sasquatch genome based on at least some DNA picked up from somewhere in Kentucky, right? At least some of the DNA collected there had something to do with the Matilda Sasquatch mask, uh, Chewbacca mask wearing person. Wookie, yeah, the Wookie, the Wookie, <laughs> Matilda, the Wookie. <laughs> so, what do we know? What do we know about the Erickson Project and and where? Do you know anything about where it was located in 
Kentucky or any of that? Yes. Uh, I believe it's Crittenden, Crittenden, Kentucky. Okay. Is the name of the general area. Um, you know, I, I do know that uh, Bill Munns, who has done a lot of comparative work and uh, released the book, was early this year about Patterson Gimlin film. He's done some comparisons of Matilda with like actual Don Post style Chewbacca masks and pretty much proven conclusively that that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has you know, slightly the, like the, the color of the fur. Right. But um, I, I just, the books and ideas, just the very modern, very modern era stew of, you know, science and two video and, you know, so and weird. I, and I, I don't know. I mean, my own, my own reaction to it is pretty held that star line to can't because mm-hmm. I just don't really trust it. I found it. So this is pulled off the Crypto Crew, crew website. It does say, um, let me see here. Uh, apparently, the foot's were seen many times by Dennis Full and Layla Hodgechick after Erickson bought the property. Initial footage of the Bigfoot shot by at least Full and possibly also Hodgechick. At least some of the f- of Full's footage was shot in a blind. Another thing that happened after the property was purchased was that the Bigfoots hung out for a bit, but then, incredibly, they took off and followed Bob miles away to his fancy new digs. Nothing like home sweet home. Plus, they were probably hungry for Bob wife's special pancakes. Uh, to say, uh, Matilda got pregnant by an unknown male during the, <laughs> during oh, the course. Oh, Matilda. Oh, that's, that's sad. It's disappointing. Yeah. Letting us down. Matilda pregnant by an unknown male during the original residence at the site where the large 90-12 foot male, whoa, his female partner and Matilda, their wild, rebellious, teenage, hobby boy-crazed Bigfoot daughter. <laughs> As I said, she was soon knocked up by some Bigfoot Mac Daddy. Um, <laughs> it, goes on, it goes on. I like guys, the crypto crew. Uh, yeah. That's cracking me up. I don't know. So they've got a they've got so visit their website. They've got some on the Erickson and the uh, Dawkins Bigfoot uh, sorted story. Yeah, Matilda the Wookie, Matilda the Wookie. So um, and with that, I think we're I think we're wrapping it up. I think I think that kind of brings us to a close on this in depth, <laughs> extremely in depth look at Bigfoot in the bluegrass state of Kentucky. Um, do you do you, what what do you have to say in closing? The thing I like most about what we've talked about tonight and just the overall Kentucky stories is the really plausible element of the cave system and that uh, just lends a lot of, of credibility to some of the questions you know, that naturally come up when you talk about where does a giant <laughs> primate actually go? Where does it live? Um, the idea that it could it has four hundred miles of essentially hidden cavern uh, habitat really gives you a lot to think about in terms of um, supporting a creature of that size and it just as i th- I think I said before, there's a primal element to that that you know who's going to be the brave soul who actually mounts the expedition to go down into mammoth cave and and kentucky's cave system to see what what lies beneath 
Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at SethBreedsLove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.